Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey there, this is Valerie Burton, author of Let Go of the Guilt. And if you want to learn how to build world-class relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Valerie Burton. Valerie helps readers find joy and resilience while navigating the challenges of modern life. She's the founder of the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute and has written a dozen books on personal development. Her unique combination of research, faith, and personal transparency inspires action and delivers practical tools to find fulfillment and purpose in work and in life. Valerie, what is up? Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, ma'am. Of course. Happy to have you. Let's go ahead and jump right in, build some context for those listening and uh, take it way back here, Valerie. I'm talking way back, let's say 11, 12 years old. What was life like for you? Uh, family life, school, you know, sports, academics. What, what were you up to back then? 11, 12. So that would have been around sixth, seventh grade. I had just moved to Colorado, which is where I consider that I grew up. So Yeah, I was in Denver. We would have just moved actually out to what's now Centennial, but then was Aurora. I was a gymnast at that point. I probably knew I liked writing, but 
had not yet come up with the idea that I would write books. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and we had just moved from Germany. So I, I come oh, from wow. an Air Force family. So my dad got stationed in Denver after we moved from Germany. I lived in Florida where I was born. My parents are from South Carolina. I would spend all my summers there. So that's what was going on with me. Yeah, nice. What about school? Did you like school? Yeah, school was a good thing for me. I, yeah. I started school early. I always loved reading and writing. And so that was a good place for me. And as I got a little older, it kind of became the area of my life I felt I could control more. My parents separated when I was 13, divorced okay. a few years later. And so that was an area where I felt like, yeah, this is a good place for me. And I was very, you know, very involved in athletics and, and academics. How much of a influence did your parents have on the career path that you ended up uh, going on? So I would say my mom had the bigger influence in that she taught me to read and write. And that's where my love of it came from. But my dad had the bigger influence on how I do it because he's he's a speaker. <laughs> like he's just that comes naturally for him, and that's where I got it from. So I would say it was probably both of them. Although, you know, my entrepreneurial spirit was really—I mean, that goes way back. In fact, I always tell this crazy story about getting in trouble in fourth grade for selling raffle tickets to a race, and like whoever won was going to get half the money, and I got the other half of the money. <laughs> so, um, awesome. So you yeah. just kind of kind of always had that entrepreneurial type of itch for sure. I did. I did. I always thought I want to run my own thing. And it wasn't something that you think was, you know, cultural for you. Your parents didn't ever encourage that. It's just something that was kind of innate within you, you think? That was definitely innate. Because like I said, my dad's retired Air Force. My mother retired from the Army Air Force Exchange Service, which is like the, you know, the retailer for all the U.S. Army and Air Force bases. So there was nothing entrepreneurial there. Now, if I go back like to grandparents and great grandparents did have their own businesses, but not directly from my parents. That wasn't their thing, but they encouraged me. Oh, interesting how that kind of works like that. Yeah. So if you knew that you were going to be entrepreneurial, what was the path for you through college after high school? Went to three colleges in three years in three different states and graduated. I was always, I was always in overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No um, kidding. Yeah. Three, there, three different states, you said. Yeah. What were yeah. the states? Colorado. So I started out as a cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Okay. Figured out that was not my calling. So after my first year, I left, but it was too late to know like where am I transferring to? And my, my parents had actually divorced at that point in my first year of college. So I went where my mom was, which was California. So I went to community college while I was figuring out where to transfer to. And then I transferred to Florida State, which gave me the same scholarship I'd gotten out of high school. So I was all over, <laughs> it's all over the place. <laughs> I think growing up in a military family, the idea of moving yeah, sure. or living far away didn't feel like a big deal to me. Very normal. Yeah. What did you end up studying? Undergrad international affairs. I always loved languages. So I grew up learning German and then I learned Spanish. And so at that point, I thought I wanted to go to law school. I thought I was going to be an international corporate attorney. And when I was getting <laughs> close to graduating, it sounds good. I was like, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. Like, I don't think that's what I want to do. And part of it was the entrepreneurial spirit. Like I wanted to be creative. I wanted the flexibility. And so 
I ended up, as soon as I finished college, I went straight into grad school in journalism. Oh, wow. And, okay. Uh, and teamed up the journalism with my entrepreneurship. Um, I was in marketing for not very long. I've only had one full-time job and it was for like under two years. And, and out and of that, was, and that was after your master's? Yeah. And out of that, I launched a PR firm. So I kind of combined the journalism with entrepreneurship yeah. to start a PR firm in Dallas, which is where I moved after grad school. Is that where you still are now? <laughs> no, uh, I, I didn't stop moving. So I went from uh, Dallas. It sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> it sounds DC, like it. yeah. And now I'm in Atlanta, but this is the longest I've lived anywhere. I've been here 11 years this oh, month, wow. 11 okay. years. Yeah. So I'm here and I don't think I'm going anywhere for, I don't know, maybe yeah, forever. You, you don't think anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it seems like you have that, uh, that nomadic route that keeps driving you to different places and experiencing different things. Just as a quick aside, this episode of the Build Your Network podcast will be back in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job descriptions, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. I personally love Indeed. It makes it easy to hire great talent, and according to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. That's right, worldwide. Wide. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash network. The offer is valid through March 31st. So what are you waiting for? Go to indeed.com slash network and claim $75 in free credit before March 31st. That's indeed.com slash network. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode of the Build Your Network podcast is brought to you by Gusto, the all-in-one HR for growing businesses. You can get everything you need to hire, pay, manage, and support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. You can automatically file and pay all state, local, and federal payroll taxes, do simple time tracking, time off requests, and more, and have access to a wide range of health and financial benefits and direct access to certified HR experts. That's just a few of the amazing tools that you get with Gusto. And right now, you can get three months free when you run your first payroll. All you have to do is use the URL gusto.com slash Travis. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash Travis. All right, let's get back to the show. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers 
Agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Of all the places that you've lived, obviously you've lived in Atlanta the longest and it's the freshest in your memory, but um, out of all the places you've lived, like pros, cons, does any one of them stick out to you as being like just a beautiful place and somewhere that you would recommend people go or? I've lived in so many beautiful places. You know, as a child, we lived on the Air Force Base, but my backyard was on the Gulf of Mexico and I would watch the dolphins from my swing set. Then we moved to Germany and Germany's beautiful. The mountains are beautiful. The people are great. Colorado, I mean, Colorado is stunning and I love how the people are laid back. It's very outdoorsy. But then I lived in Monterey, California, which was like driving around in a postcard every day. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. You know, I would say that what I've learned living in Georgia and also even living in Maryland outside of DC, which was also pretty and not a state I had ever really thought a lot about, is that there's beauty in every place you go, you can find it. And what I didn't appreciate because I was used to either beautiful white sand beaches or, you know, or cliffs like in California or mountains like Colorado and Germany. So coming and living somewhere like Georgia and people would say, oh, the trees. And I was like, trees. (laughs) (laughs) And I am at a place where I love I love the trees. We live on a horse farm and we have woods on our property. And my husband has basically created paths through the woods and I walk through them and I think it's absolutely beautiful. So I've learned to appreciate wherever I am. Dallas probably had the least amount of beauty. (laughs) There were no trees or beaches, (laughs) but it was still a great place. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's funny you actually mentioned that because we're looking at moving to Dallas pretty soon, actually, oh, wow. from Las Vegas. But I like to ask that question for people who, who are well-traveled. It's something that I really, really enjoy is traveling and getting out and seeing new places. So I had to selfishly ask that question really quickly. <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump right back into your story here. So you have a job for two years and then you quickly realize, I definitely want to be working for myself and you start a PR firm how was that first experience? How was the first you know, real venture in entrepreneurship? It was good. I did that for four years. The company I worked for was a client, which was a great way to leave a job. I turned my resignation letter into a proposal, basically. And I was good at it. What I will say is that it wasn't my passion. And so I began wondering, like, what am I here for? Because my gift is communication. So the PR and marketing made sense. I just needed a purpose behind it. 
And so I literally just prayed about it. It was a couple of years before I had this epiphany that I was supposed to be writing and speaking and inspiring others to live more fulfilling lives. And so that's when I made the leap to do what I do now. What was the compelling factor? Like why? Why was it so important? Obviously figured out that it was important to you. I wanted to love what I do. And I believe we're all here for a reason. I believe we all have gifts and experiences that are meant to make the world better in some way, even if that way seems small. I didn't want to miss that. I didn't want to get to the end of my life and feel like, oh, you missed the mark. You, you know, you missed your mission. And it was really important to me because I, I got to a point where I didn't want to go to work and I owned the company. <laughs> you know, I wasn't excited. I knew there had to be something more. People would ask for proposals and I didn't feel like doing them. Well, that's a huge sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People, uh, people are asking to pay you and you're like, eh. <laughs> mm, I don't know. <laughs> right. So, you know, those to me, you have to listen to those inklings. And, you know, I think sometimes we do something for a period of time and it's like we kind of have the grace to do it. You know, it's just mm. we're supposed to do it for that period of time. And then when we lose that, I think that's a sign that it's that season is coming to a close and we have to be open to to saying, well, what's the new season? And um, every season feels scary you know, when you're making the change because 100%, yeah. you know, it feels so uncertain. Even when I started the PR firm and I remember the day that I turned in my resignation letter and you know, there'd been all this energy towards, okay, what I'm going to do. And then when I went home that night, I couldn't go to sleep. I was lying in bed like, what the heck did you just do? <laughs> they had to pay you every couple of weeks. <laughs> right, yeah. That and was, now you I mean, have to figure out. They would get in trouble out. if they didn't give you money, yeah. Right. Right. Um, You know, it was all those what if questions. What if I fail? What if I'm, you know, what if I'm too young? What if I don't know what I'm doing? And I just, I had to answer those what if questions in order to move forward. That's a big part of it. I'm to interrupt there, but yeah, that's the the crux, right? Valerie is like, nobody, at the end of the day, nobody's going to give you the permission to be that person. No. Like you're talking about those thoughts you're having, like, what if I can't do this? What if I'm not supposed, like what? And everybody has those what ifs. The difference is that some people put them aside long enough to understand that like there's no entrance exam to success. There's no (laughs) gatekeeper that says you're not allowed to come past this unless you've accomplished this, 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 and this. Like the only thing standing in your way is literally you. You are the only the only thing that's standing in your way. And I was realizing this recently because I was having a conversation with my wife who's always been super, super supportive of everything that I do. And I've always been very, very appreciative of that. But recently it's been it's been um, making me realize how much I've almost put that support dependency on her where like I, I almost need her validation, you mm. know, to go do something new or go tackle this big project that I'm working on or something rather than internalizing that and understanding that it is a matter of my own identity, the way that I view myself or what I think is possible for me. And, um, and that's always going to be what it is. So, so talk to me then about that transition into starting to write books. Because obviously, like if you start in a PR firm, there's a real product that you have and you can sell that product from day one, right? You can even sell it before day one. You can sell it. <laughs> Which I did. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> right. You did. Yeah, exactly. With writing books and doing that type of work, that's a completely different ballgame. So can you tell me like what the process was for you to get started in that world? Yeah, I had, I had had an inkling when I was in grad school in journalism that I would write books. I knew I wanted to eventually have a family, but I wanted a career. I wanted to be able to have flexibility. And that was the vision I had at 20 years old. <laughs> and so 
when it was time, I mean, I had already tried twice to write books. At 22, I tried. I like ran out of words. Travis, I just, <laughs> there's only but so much wisdom in there. And then about three years later, I, I tried again. I found an agent. I literally bought a book about, you know, all the literary agents in the country. And I, and it talked about like what kind of books they cover, what their interests were. And I found about six and I think two never replied. Three of them said no. And one of them said, Hey, let's have a meeting. So he managed to get me a small book deal with a small publisher, which was exciting. And then the publisher ran into financial trouble and everything fell through. So by the time I had this epiphany about my purpose and it felt so clear to me, I was like, okay, um, I don't want to wait for a publisher. I'm going to self-publish and then try to get a publisher to pick up my self-published book. And so I just, I was looking at people that had done that. I reached out to people. (laughs) Who did you use? Like, this was back before you could just easily go to like, you know, Amazon and publish your book or whatever. Like I hired the printer, the graphic designer, the photographer, I laid the book out myself, bought a book about how to self-publish a book, you know, got my ISBN number, everything. And it helped that I had been in marketing and PR, right? Because I was always helping to deal with graphic designers and so on and so forth. And that's what I did. And so I, I had this epiphany. It was July of 99. And I had a book in my hand the day before Thanksgiving that year. I had told all my friends about it, people I knew in the media. So I was getting some media coverage in Dallas, where I lived at the time. And I knew I had my sights on bigger things. So I was looking for any opportunity I could. I sent the book to Barnes & Noble. They had a small press department. And I told them when I was having a book signing, I never even called them back. And apparently that buyer looked up the numbers at the store I told them I was going to be at and faxed my first order, which helped me to get a distributor to pick up my book, which is unusual for self-published books. There was a bookstore owner that had connections. And so she invited me to give away books at the Big Book Expo America in Chicago and said there might be publishers at this reception. And that's what I did. I flew myself there. I gave away a couple hundred books and one of the people that came through my line was holding up the line, asking me questions. And I was, I almost was trying to rush her along. And I said, oh, what bookstore are you with? She said, oh, I'm not with a bookstore. I'm an editor for Random House. I'm looking for fiction, but this looks interesting. I'm <laughs> thinking, you are why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, right. I had my press kit ready and, and she read the book on the plane on her way back to New York and called the following Monday. And that's how I got my first book deal. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love how dedicated you were from the beginning. Once you knew that that was the path for you, there was obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that could have deterred you and made you go, you know what, I think I'm just better off staying in PR or (laughs) why don't I go get a job or something like that. But the dedication from the beginning to just know, to have complete clarity around where you want to end up and then to be able to attack that path with all that you had obviously led to to your first book deal. And now you've written 10 books now? 13. <laughs> so even the yeah. bio information that I have is... is out there. Yeah, yeah so. the, the next one is coming out. You know, it comes out in a couple of weeks. So yeah, this is number 13, which is hard, hard for me to believe. But yeah, I had that vision and I had to take some risks. I it's not like I had a lot of money to do it. I, I mean, I paid for everything on my credit card to publish the book but I knew exactly how many copies I needed to sell to break even. It was 300. 
And I did that in the first few weeks. Like, these will be great Christmas gifts. Like I was selling them to everybody. I think it was a lot of focus. But when I had the epiphany about my purpose, that's how everything took off. That's how I wrote it so fast. Those first two attempts at writing a book, I didn't know my purpose yet. And I think that's why I got stuck. Yeah, right. Can you elaborate a little bit for somebody out there listening right now that may be like, you know what, I, I would like to write a book, but I just have no idea how to even get started with a project like that. Do you have any recommendations or tools or resources or step-by-step or anything like that would be able to help somebody out like that? Absolutely. So number one, keep in mind, I mean, we we have access to information so quickly. So I've never used as an excuse that, well, I don't, I don't know anybody in that field or I don't know what to do. I go find the information. And that's that's what I did. We actually have a class that I created that's on my website called Destined to Write about how to write and publish your book. There's another author, though, that I think is also really good, Rob Eager, who has helped me in the past. He wrote a book called Sell Your Book Like Wildfire, which I think is really great for, especially if you're writing nonfiction, for writing a book that people will talk about and it'll become more marketable. But I would say you know, whether it's books or classes or reaching out to people who've done it, that's it. I mean, I literally went to the bookstore and bought a book about how to publish a book, a book about how to publicize your book. (laughs) I just followed what it said. And people are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I did. Now you have you have 13 books. So I realize that this is kind of a loaded question and you might not be able to answer it. But which of those 13 books, not necessarily which one is your favorite, okay, but which one meant the most to you? Not, you know, the most successful, not the one that sold the most, not the one that brought in the most revenue. I'm saying like, which, which is the one that had like really meant a lot to you? Oh, that's so hard because I'm thinking about four or so of the books and, and it's all for different reasons. Okay, so... I wrote a book called Successful Women Think Differently, and it was based on my capstone project in graduate school in applied positive psychology. And I didn't intend for that to be a book. It was just my capstone. (laughs) I had actually written book proposals about other books, and the publisher was like, do you have anything else? Which actually irritated me, um, because I was like, I just told you what I wanted to write. And I literally was like, well, I got this capstone (laughs) I finished when I went back to grad school. And they loved it. It was actually called Successful People Think Differently. And they asked, would I be open to focusing in specifically on women? It's all of my favorite positive psychology research. It's very practical because basically, you know, we tend to think that people are successful because of the steps that they took, but it's, it's really deeper than that. It is what they say to themselves, what they think in the face of challenges and in the face of opportunity and successful people actually make decisions differently they approach their relationships differently. They think differently and it makes them more resilient and actually makes them happier, which in turn makes them more successful. That was uh, that book was a turning point for me. And um, I hate to say like to pick one, but I'll pick that one. All right. I, I could tell there was a lot of hesitation there in your voice to pick just one because I know that they're all kind of like, it's like picking your favorite kid. I have a lot of people ask me what my favorite, you know, podcast episode or guest or whatever. And it's like, ah, oh, man, I, that's, I don't know. That's tough. It's really hard. And I think because I'm always trying to get better as a writer, like this new book that just came out, Let Go of the Guilt, when I did the audio book reading in June, where I'm reading straight through, because as an author, you're always doing it in pieces. I feel proudest of that one. I feel proudest of it because I feel like everything I've learned as a coach, as a writer, as someone who focuses in on positive psychology and as a person, like 
dealing with difficult emotions and being able to overcome them. I feel like I was able to put all of that together. Even my journalism background, there's a lot of people I interviewed for it and reading it straight through, I was like, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. And that doesn't always happen as an author. You know, you love your book, but there's always that page where you're like, oh, I meant to say it this way, or why did I, you know, there should have been a different transition there. I mean, you know, that's not hard when you've written 60,000 books to find something you'd change. And in this one, that didn't happen. And that felt so, so good. Yeah. Your writing process, have you been able to look back now that you're, you know, completing this book, Let Go of the Guilt? Have you been able to look back at the journey that you've been on? It's almost like documenting your journey. That's one of the coolest things about content creation. That's just a, a total add-on, like a bonus. Yeah. You can kind of look back and see your journey happen in real time uh, with the stuff that you're producing and putting out there. Can you, do you ever look back on like the first couple of books that you wrote and, and uh, think like, man, I, I used to not be as good as at this as I am now. <laughs> I see the growth, but I can honestly say when I look back and when I read, I often will say, <laughs> I don't, this is going to come off wrong, but I will often say that was good. And you're not talking about that anymore. That can help someone. Mm. So sometimes because it'll be so many years, I mean, the first one, that Random House edition was 01, the second book was 04, then was 05, then was 07. You know, it's it's been a while. Yeah. You promote a book, people are talking about a book, I, I'll speak on a book. And then when you write a certain number, sometimes you just don't pick one up for a long time. That makes me feel good that I can pick it up and go, oh, Yeah. <laughs> This is relevant. <laughs> You've touched on this a little bit without me even prompting it at all. The importance of relationships and how they've kind of played a role in your journey as an author, especially with some of the connections you had to publishers and to people to get the book out there. So I want to ask you a couple of questions just about building relationships and connections and things, obviously, because this is build your network. Question I ask everybody to get this conversation moving in that direction. Who you know or what you know, Valerie, which of those two do you think is more important and why? <sighs> I'm, I'm making you. I'm making you decide a lot today, but uh, it depends on the goal. Right. So, if the goal is purely around where you're climbing to and sales, marketing, etc., I would go with who you know. Mm. But I have to say, marketing can get you pretty far. But if you want to sustain a career, ultimately, you've got to have the goods. You've got to have whether it's great content or great product. But you really need both. I know that's not the answer you want. I mean, I definitely would say there are lots of people whose products, whose content is not as good as many others, but the who you know puts them in the places where they get the exposure. But I don't want that to discourage the person who says, I don't know a lot of people. Because if your content or product is good, you will begin attracting the right people. Yes. And that network grows. That's my experience. I I, I didn't know anybody. Right, right. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know anybody. That's why it's such a great story. Besides that first example that you gave us, can you think of any other relationships that you've built over the years that maybe you weren't sure if or when they would ever benefit you, but you were just kind of you know being a friend to somebody, and then something big or some cool opportunity happened later on. <laughs> yes. I, and I would say that's happened so many times. I wish I could think of them because this one's going way back, but it's always really stood out to me. So I was hosting a television show a long, long time ago. And one of the guests on the show, the very last episode I did, one of the guests on the show, the question was asked of me, like, what, what, did I have any new projects? And I mentioned that I was working on a book proposal for my second book. 
And I didn't think much of that. It just, you know, just talking, you know, everybody was sharing what they were working on. She emailed me. Well, she told me to send her the book proposal because she had a friend in publishing and I forgot, which is terrible. (laughs) She sent me an email. Don't forget to send me that proposal. Well, the truth of the matter is the way she described the publisher, I thought it was going to pigeonhole me. So I went ahead and I sent the proposal because she had asked a couple of times. And for some reason, I left my bio out of the proposal. I don't know how that happened, but that's what happened. I had an agent at the time and he was shopping the book around. She sent it. I had no idea who the friend was. And about three weeks later, my agent calls me and he tells me that a division of Random House has contacted him and they're interested in my book, that one of their authors had passed it along. And it turns out that it was this woman that I had met. Her friend was an author and had passed it along, which is highly unusual. People don't typically pass things along by people that they don't know. And that led to five books with that imprint. (laughs) And I didn't meet that author until about two or three years later. So I would say, don't blow anything off. (laughs) You know, you know, sometimes it's just getting in the realm that you need because the imprint that they wanted that, that she was sending the book for wasn't the imprint I ended up on because I told them that's not specifically my market. My market's bigger than that. And they said, oh, okay, well then we'll put you on this imprint. And so, you know, don't close out opportunities. Like someone wants to introduce you to someone, there's no harm in having the conversation. If it's not an opportunity that's going to work, then you can say that, but you never know. You never know what it's going to lead to. Yeah, you got to be willing to listen. You got to be willing to look at the opportunity. Such a great, great way to, to kind of wrap up this interview, here, Valerie. But I do want to talk about a little bit more about your new book, Let Go of the Guilt. And uh, tell me, you know, where this idea came from. What's the top one or two takeaways that, uh, that we can get from that? And then where can we go pick up a copy? So the, the subtitle of Let Go of the Guilt is Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. <laughs> you know, I'd had this vision of what I wanted, which I told you was be an author, have a family. You know, my path there was long and winding, you know, went through divorce, didn't have children, remarried at 40. And... I got to a point where I had everything I had said I wanted. You know, I have two bonus daughters, I have a son, and I was feeling guilty a lot. (laughs) Guilty for working, guilty I'm not doing enough here or there. And I just started talking about it at speaking engagements and realized how many women especially have a lot of guilt, always feel like they're not doing enough, always overcompensating. And so I was like, let me dive into this. And so that's really where the idea of the book came along, which normally uh, my ideas come from just, oh, this is what I want to write about. This one was, I'm noticing a trend and I want to help people overcome it. Is there a specific place that you want listeners to go to pick up a copy of that book or just anywhere where they buy books? Yeah, anywhere where you buy books, the book is available. But I will say this, if you go to ValerieBurton.com, wherever you choose to buy the book, if you go back there, I've got a free audio training specifically on how to get out of guilt trips. If you find yourself dealing with people that manipulate you, or you're always feeling like your relationships aren't reciprocal, you will really enjoy that training. There's some other audio downloads from the book and so forth. So if you get the book, wherever you get it, make sure you go to ValerieBurton.com and right there on the homepage, you will see, you'll see all of that. And then I also have a free course on self-coaching. So if you're just like, hey, I want to know how to kind of find the answers I need for what I'm trying to do in my life and business, I think you'd enjoy the course. So both of theirs, both of those are there on the homepage of the website. Awesome. So head over to ValerieBurton.com. That's V-A-L-O-R-I-E-B-U-R-T-O-N. 
ValerieBurton.com to uh, pick up a copy of her new book, Let Go of the Guilt. And this is such a needed topic, Valerie. I really appreciate you and want to acknowledge you for writing on this topic uh, because it is. It is something that uh, is something that I struggle with tremendously in, in my own life, especially, you know, I grew up, grew up extremely religious and uh, dealt with a lot of built-in guilt. From- yeah, talk about that in the book too. I grew up Catholic and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> felt a little of that myself. I a lot of, uh, I assume there are a lot of similarities then there for sure. <laughs> and, uh, such a needed topic. I really appreciate you writing about that. I do want to now move into the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Okay. I think so. <laughs> we'll find out, I guess, right? <laughs> what profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Acting. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who'd it be? I think I'd sit and chat with Martin Luther King Jr. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? I love, love, love reading. So yes, books. What's a book that you'd recommend to everybody? Oh gosh, there's so many I'd recommend. One of my favorites, because I keep talking about positive psychology, is called Learned Optimism by Dr. Martin Seligman. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Oh, I get up. I exercise three days out of the week. So I love doing that. I meditate. I use an app called Abide, which I really enjoy. And I eat breakfast, usually scrambled eggs with spinach and a banana and a clementine. (laughs) I definitely have a habit when it comes to what I eat. And I always eat a pretty good breakfast. What is your go-to pump-up song? Depends on the mood. If I'm if I'm running or and doing something that's going to be like long and hard, probably Eye of the Tiger. Oh, I mean, you can't go wrong with Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> what is something that you are just not very good at, Valerie? I am not very good at reading directions and following them. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> don't 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 have me put together your IKEA table or something like that. Not my not my strength. As we get everything wrapped up here, Valerie, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Facebook is where my biggest audience is, but I'm growing on Instagram and love Instagram for all the positivity. Amazing. So head over to ValerieBurton.com to find uh, all of her social links and most importantly, pick up a copy of her book. You guys know anytime we recommend a book here on the show, I always tell you, go pick it up right now so you don't forget. Don't put it off till later. Go pick it up right now. Let go of the guilt over at ValerieBurton.com and check out some of the other stuff that she's putting out there. And I'm sure that you really, really enjoy those things. Valerie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Had an awesome time chatting with you. Me too. Thanks so much, Travis. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.